Hi, this is Jacques Hebert. And I'm Simone Malaz. And you're listening to Delta Dispatches, where we're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. How's it going, Simone? I'm doing all right. You ready for our first show? Yeah, I'm excited. We have a lot to talk about today and in the weeks ahead. So we're excited to be doing this show and bringing it to you every Thursday, 5 to 6 p.m. on 990 a.m. Good. We'll get started by telling you a little bit about ourselves. That sounds good. So I work as communications director with the National Audubon Society. We're part of a coalition called Restore the Mississippi River Delta. It includes several different organizations, one of whom, uh, actually two of whom you're going to hear from today, two of their staff. And we're working on coastwide solutions to restoring Louisiana's coast. And I'm Simone Malaz. I'm the executive director of a regional advocacy group called Restore or Retreat that focuses on coastal restoration in the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, two of the most rapidly eroding basins along our coast. We hope to talk more about our organizations as we go along with our show. But today we're going to talk a little bit about the overall work that we do. Yeah, we're really going to be setting the stage for why coastal restoration is an important issue, why it should be, you know, one of the most important issues people in Louisiana focus on. Um, So we're going to have a guest on to kind of set the stage, talk a little bit about where we are in terms of our land loss crisis. And then we're going to have another guest come in and talk about the solutions and what projects and what work has been done um, to address the crisis. So it'll hopefully set the stage for our show and give you a good introduction into the issues at hand. Let's get started. All right, we're here with our first guest, Steve Cochran. No pressure. First guest for our, our very first Delta Dispatch show. Pressure's on you here. <laughs> Steve Cochran is the campaign director for the Mississippi Restore the Mississippi River Delta Coalition. What what is that even mean, Steve? Why don't you tell us a little <laughs> bit about right. ourselves and the work that we do? We have a a, a coalition, really, of five groups. Um, three that are national. Uh, environmental organizations, and that's the National Wildlife Federation, National Audubon Society, and then the Environmental Defense Fund, uh, and uh, and then two local groups: the Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana uh, and uh, Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation. And we uh, we all work together. We have, uh, I guess, among us probably uh, close to forty people. If we uh, look at the folks that are in uh, in Washington D.C. as well as down here and in Baton Rouge. Um, uh, really focused on a whole range of uh, coastal issues, and so it's a it's a great way to do it because we actually have all these people. Most of us share uh, office space, so we're all in the same place at the same time, all working in the same direction. It's really a lot of fun to do it that way. So you're the campaign director, and the campaign's been this is not a new thing, right? It's it's been working for a while, uh, right. and you're the campaign director, right? So why don't you tell us a little bit about how the campaign even got started? So, you know, really a lot of different organizations, the ones I mentioned and others, were involved at some level uh, in Louisiana uh, on a range of environmental issues, particularly along the coast. Uh, and, um, and so working individually, occasionally working together. Uh, and then um, uh, the BP uh, disaster came along. And, and so it seemed clear that uh, there was a, a better opportunity to try to work more uh, collectively together. Uh, that had gotten organized just a little bit before BP, but really took on, I think, the head of steam um, around the idea that it was it was seemed pretty clear pretty early 
There were going to be civil fines. There were going to be criminal fines. There was going to be money uh, that was going to be paid. And the way it was organized, it would just, under under the existing law, that money would have just gone into the federal treasury almost for whatever. There were a couple of uses, but it would not have come back uh, under any guarantee uh, to really help with the coast. And so uh, a lot of the organization occurred around the idea that we should talk with the Congress, uh, talk with other Gulf states, and try to make sure that a lot as much money as possible would come back. We have a significant problem here. We need resources to do it. There was the opportunity to be able to do it, and and uh, and it worked. Uh, and so, eighty uh, percent of the of the civil uh, penalties that came from the BP uh, disaster, as well as uh, uh, a pretty large dedication of some of the cr- uh, criminal penalties, um, are now available uh, for Louisiana, around $10 billion worth that's going to come to Louisiana uh, from that source or those sources uh, over the next 15 years. So we, we really got a great opportunity to really put uh, put things to work, and that's kind of where the organizations got started. So you mentioned the other Gulf Coast states. You work with the other states uh, along the Gulf, right? And you also work with local partners like Restore Retreat, for example. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your partners that work with the campaign, maybe not formally and some formally, right? Why don't you tell us a little bit about the network? So, uh, yeah, it's a, sort of a series of concentric circles, if you think about it, uh, just sort of uh, all across the board. Because we work on a range of issues. We work on economics, for example. So uh, we look at the job creation opportunities associated with the restoration work. And we do some of that work with the Greater New Orleans uh, Inc., for example, you know, a, a pure economic development organization where they've really uh, taken on uh, some of these issues. Restore and Retreat, obviously, is a, a really important um, uh, player uh, along the coast uh, with a real strong economic base. And so uh, definitely want to focus on those areas, and, and we, we have partnerships to do that. The science side, we were always looking that we have our own scientists, and we work with other institutions, academic institutions, the Water Institute, the state, others, to really dig in on some of these science issues to make sure that we're doing this science-based and not getting off track and, and, and following somebody's ideology, but really staying true to the science and what we're doing around restoration. Um, we, we definitely look for that opportunity to partner. Um, what we've learned in coalition is that we're always stronger when we do this with more people. And this is about the community. It's not just about um, some environmental issue. This is about all of us. So these partnerships actually come pretty easy, and it's been a, been a great way to do work. So, Steve, you're no stranger to campaigns and coalitions, and you have a, a, a long history here in Louisiana, right? So tell us a little bit about your background and how you even ended up in this place. Well, you, you know, you, if you live long enough, you have all kinds of experience, right? So that's part of it. <laughs> well, we only want to hear about some of them. The clean <laughs> ones, please. How much time do you have? <laughs> FCC so, rules. Clean ones, please, Steve. Um, I, did, I did grow up uh, across the lake. Uh, went to Mandeville High School. Uh, went to LSU. Well, you went to high school, Steve. Uh, well, you know, most of it. Um, and uh, uh, it really, you know, we had a uh, a great growing up here. I mean, we would sneak out of high school, uh, uh, particularly uh, in the springtime, and, and go out to the rice paddies in Madisonville. There are homes there now. There were rice paddies then, and we would, we would catch a couple yourself, hundred Steve. pounds of crawfish. And whoever's parents happened to be out of town that weekend would have the party uh, from Friday afternoon. Finding out a lot out about school. you, Steve. That's right. a lot. So, uh, but we, it was really, it was a great way to grow up. And it's, it's home for me. And I, I did move away. I, I've, I've come back and forth in the state. LSU grad though, right? It was eventually, as my uh, family <laughs> likes to remind me, I crammed uh, four years into six and a half. Uh, I didn't miss any fall seasons. And so that all worked out just fine. But I moved, uh, I moved to DC uh, in 1992. Uh, and stayed there until really just last year. So there was an opportunity to come back home. 
um, to really do this work. It just couldn't have been better for me to be able to do that. Uh, and so here I am. All right. Well, we're um, going to keep talking to Steve a little bit longer, uh, but we want to make it a little fun, right? So, Steve, favorite uh, Louisiana cocktail? Sazerac. Nice. Um, favorite Louisiana story? I think we just heard one about some illegal activities in the rice paddies. <laughs> I guess it was slightly <laughs> illegal. But, you know, I, I mean, I, as I recall, the, the, the law about uh, alcohol was whether you could get your hand up to the bar to be able to pay for the beer. So on the I'm, North Shore, I don't you know, was, we didn't play that way on the South Shore. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's no rules at all. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what? Um, let's close out this segment. We'll come back to you and talk a little bit more about the opportunities and challenges that we face in coastal Louisiana. But like, did you ever, um, when you were in D.C. Or, or when you were away from Louisiana, did you ever have an aha Louisiana moment where you really missed it or I mean you've worked on issues that really crossed the globe right was there ever one real Louisiana moment that you've had where you just like yeah I miss home and I need to go back and and work on it there well this these are the hard parts right you can't live away from home and then see something happen and not feel that you should be there Katrina was certainly that uh, BP was that. There have been too many of those here that have really uh, directly impacted. Uh, I, like a lot of people, came home as quickly as possible just to be here uh, after that. But, but being away, seeing those things happen, not being directly involved right away, that's the hardest thing to do. That's why it's great to be here now. Great, great. Um, so we're going to uh, take a little break right now. We're going to come back with Steve and talk a, more, a little bit more about uh, the issues that we face and hopefully some of the opportunities that we have uh, in the future. Welcome back, everybody. We're so glad that you stayed with us. Stayed with us through our first segment of our new show, Delta Dispatches. I'm Simone Laws. I am with Restore or Retreat. And uh, we're also here with the Restore the Mississippi River Delta campaign talking about coastal. We'll be here every week on Thursdays at 5 p.m. And we'll have some of our um, favorite coastal experts, friends, and um, infos. Sue will bring them in, too, to talk about coastal. Right now, we're back with the Southerner of the Year, Steve Cochran. Wow. Tell us a little bit about that uh, honor from Southern Living. Yeah, that's pretty do funny. I have to, do you have a title I have to? Um, uh, Colonel. Could Colonel. You, could you okay. just go with that? That'll be fine. Yeah, that's a random thing. I don't know what that was. I, that was, uh, I, know, I, I will tell you, though, that I grew up in a house where Southern Living was on the coffee table. That was how my mother rolled. That's what we we did. So You're raised right, so, Steve. You know, she, you know, I mean, she passed away a, lo- a while ago, but somewhere she was smiling. I guarantee you that. So I, I'm going to go with that and leave it there. So Steve will play humble. <laughs> Colonel will play humble. Thank you very uh, much. But Steve was uh, one of, of only a handful of folks recognized for the importance of his work. Uh, in a place that that means so much to him. So, you know, Steve, we work on these issues every day. Um, Let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges that we face in coastal Louisiana and certainly some of the issues, um, some of the opportunities. You know, I think you and I are both probably optimistic people, so we like to focus on some of the solutions and the opportunities that we have at hand. So um, I think think Jacques can cover the challenges. Let's let him uh, (laughs) hit that that hardball. Let's talk about opportunities. Opportunities, You know, you do a lot of work in the economic development space and, and, you know, most people 
probably wouldn't relate coastal to, you know, economic development and those kind of activities. So let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, I know you've done a lot of work in that space. Why don't you tell some folks that, you know, um, some of the, the positive, bright things that we can look forward to in coastal Louisiana? You know, we have this, it's really a, a unique uh, kind of setting where there's a huge amount of work to be done, uh, large-scale projects. And when you step back from it, it makes sense. So we just haven't typically thought about it that way. You know, somebody has to do that work. It's construction work. It's it's design. It's engineering. It's all of the, the things that you know, would normally say you're going to build a highway. You, you would think about that from a jobs perspective. We don't always think about it that way. But in this case, we not only have, uh, it's really kind of the best sort of an economic driver that you can have because we not only have a need uh, that is ongoing, and and we're going to need to meet that need, and so that means the work's necessary. It also, in this case, we have a, a steady flow of funds for the next 15 years uh, that, frankly, can only be spent on these things. The combination of that really sets up well for investment, for the kinds of companies who want stable uh, opportunities, and for the job creation associated with it. And the net result of that, uh, if you go back a little bit and look at the rebuilding of the levees around New Orleans that took place uh, after Katrina, and then you build in uh, the work that's going forward now with the range of projects that CPRA is managing across the coast, what you find out is that the leading job creator in South Louisiana is coastal restoration and protection. That's the amazing thing about this. We actually get to create the jobs that are going to save us. They're going to help us economically, but they also are building the projects that we need to be able to exist here. That's about a win-win as much as you can get one. And, and Steve, most of these are mid-level skilled jobs, right? Uh, Good-paying jobs, right? If, if you look at the breakdown in, uh, in uh, groups like uh, uh, GNO Inc. Uh, have looked at this uh, because they also are looking at the training aspects of it. How do you make sure that as many people as possible can be able to take advantage of this. If you look at the data center's work uh, around the coast, uh, lots of good documentation about the opportunities. Uh, the, the salary level is is on average $69,000 a year. And across the coast, uh, that's a very nice, steady salary uh, that you can expect, and that and above, And if you go into these. So it's everything from you know basic administrative and construction work uh, all the way up to high-level design and engineering and everything in between. I mean, I think the numbers that we're looking at right now are some 44,000 jobs have been created across the coast uh, looking at this, that they call it the water management sector. Uh, that's a nice phrase, water management. But that's really um, what this is about. And uh, and it's a, it's a huge economic driver for us and a very stable one. In, in, a, in a state which has a lot of commodity-driven uh, employment, um, something as stable as that really does matter. So it's a great opportunity for all of us. Yeah, and I will say from Restore Retreat's perspective, that's probably the number one, one of the number one questions we get asked is, is how can we participate in this coastal work and, and how yeah. can we be more involved? And Restore Retreat, it really is located in the heart of, of that working coast. And a lot of these folks work in oil and gas, right. so they're used to working in coastal environments. Uh, and so for many of them, it's maybe just one or two um, changes to a skill that they already know to be for them to be able to adapt from oil and gas and uh, into this water management sector, and that's really important for us. I mean, I come from a place that you know when when things are bad, they're really bad, right? And so, if there is some kind of way that that we can find a silver lining to you know somebody who's already trained in this particular area, but then um, maybe can take that skills coastal, uh, we certainly uh, want to be able to support that. We um, we've had the support 
support of, of many other industries too. Like you said, other partners that maybe usually wouldn't come to the table, Gino Inc. Um, we've had some industries come to support us too. Even the community colleges want to know how they can uh, ramp up their efforts to train some of these employees so that they can work in a coastal environment, whether it be water management or uh, or oil and gas. And so, uh, for that, that's a um, a really important thing for, like you said, the kind of uh, makeup of an organization that, that we are as well. So, um, okay, Steve, let's talk a little bit about uh, this master plan that we have on the street. We're actually going to focus a future show all on the details of um, why the state has a coastal master plan and what's in this iteration of the master plan. But overall, Steve, can you can you maybe talk about how important it is for Louisiana to have that science-based document to shop around to people, right? Do you think that was important in securing, you know, Restore Act funds or those kinds of things? You know, having a plan is always the right way to approach something. And in this case, where there are lots of... Um, Lots of different ways you could go about this. Really looking hard at the science. What does the science tell you about the problem? And then what does it tell you about the solutions? And building that in from the beginning is absolutely the way to do it because it means that, one, you're likely to make the very best decisions. And, two, you're able to actually demonstrate to others who you're going to need over time, whether that's within the state, taxpayers, whether it's outside of the state, with federal funds, that you're doing it right. And that's the state has done a remarkable job of doing that, of building a plan based on science, of holding to it, being able to explain to people why uh, decisions are being made the way they are, uh, and being based on the science is absolutely critical. And it creates that basic level of credibility that is essential for any external audiences. You know, to be honest, uh, I, li- I lived in Washington for a long time. There's skepticism there about whether Louisiana would handle this kind of money well. What would they spend it on? Would they be boondoggles and things like that? Some of that could be fair criticism. Some of it maybe not. Regardless, making sure that we do this right and hew to the science and make sure it really makes a difference in our ability to continue to build this as we go forward. So, Steve, the campaign itself is helping to get the word out about the master plan, right? I mean, so um, maybe just talk briefly about some of the involvement that uh, Restore the Mississippi River Delta, what they're doing to help just even get the word out about the master plan, whether it be outreach or... Yeah, I mean, uh, the other the piece uh, that really matters, I think, a lot is is that people, um, you know, these are decisions that are being made about uh, about protecting our coast, how it's going to be done, what kind of projects we're going to do, even ultimately where people will be able to live over time. And so people need to be involved in that. This is our community, not uh, some decision that should be made um, in Baton Rouge or in Washington or anything else. It ought to be based on what people here believe is necessary for their communities. And so we've tried very hard, one, to make sure that people know about the plan, that it's going forward, two, that they have the opportunities that the state is already providing uh, to be able to engage and know what's in the plan and be able to comment on it. And then, frankly, and and you've done some of this uh, through your own work, we've expanded those opportunities so that more people could be more involved and more aware as this process goes forward. This is an ongoing process. It's it's part of what it means to live in South Louisiana, to be a part of this, to really engage in helping make sure that the 
decisions not only are science-based, but are community-based as well. And and that's really, um, I think, at the heart of trying to do this right is making sure everybody has the chance as they want to to participate and really get these decisions made that way. All right, great. Thanks, Steve. I think Jacques is going to talk a little bit more, or Jacques and I are going to talk at the end more about how we can get access to some of that information, how they can get more information from the campaign. But for right now, you can follow Steve on Twitter. Steve, you're on Twitter? Come on. At SCCT. Uh, he likes to post about Mardi Gras. So speaking of Mardi Gras, Steve, uh, one last question. Uh, do you give anything up for Lent? No, uh, king cake. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for coming in. We very much appreciate your work and, and for being with us today. Thanks, Mark. And we're back. This is Jacques Hebert, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. Earlier, you heard from Steve Cochran, campaign director with Restore the Mississippi River Delta, who provided information on this grouping of organizations and discussed Louisiana's land loss crisis and why restoring the coast must be a top priority for everyone. It is indeed a priority. A recent poll by the Restore the Mississippi River Delta Coalition found that 95% of Louisianans said Louisiana's coastal areas and wetlands are personally important to them. And 93% of Louisiana's statewide, Louisianans statewide said that restoring Louisiana's coastal wetlands needs attention. At the same time, since the 1930s, Louisiana has lost 1,900 square miles of land. That's equivalent to the size of Delaware. This is land that's not only crucial wildlife and fisheries habitat, but it's important to protecting our communities and industries from hurricanes, storm surge, and other threats. Without action, Louisiana could lose an additional 2,200 square miles of land over the next 50 years. So we often hear these big numbers. We see the red maps of land loss across our coast. But today we're going to talk about the solutions. Here to give us some insight into the specific tools in our restoration toolkit is Alicia Renfro. When she's not out in coastal wetlands collecting sediment cores, Alicia is a staff scientist with the National Wildlife Federation working in New Orleans. Hi, Alicia. Welcome to the show. How How is your Mardi Gras? Oh, it was good. I'm recovering from my um, various hot glue gun burns now. <laughs> yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of glue, a lot of glitter. Um, but, you know, we're, we're back at work hard, uh, working to restore the coast. So... Um, you know, I've been out in the field with you and you've taken, you know, sediment cores from various wetland areas. Can you tell our listeners what exactly is a sediment core and what does it tell you? Um, a sediment core is a, is a scientific tool that actually is kind of a, a time machine for us. It gives us a glimpse back into the history of a certain place. From that, you can look and tell things like river floods or hurricane events or even when something dramatic changed within the system. That's great. So you basically stick it in the ground, pull it out, and then you can see the different layers of earth that have built up over time and tell kind of how that land has formed. Yep, exactly. And that's crucial in Louisiana because the land on which we're living was basically built by the Mississippi River over thousands of years, correct? Yep, that's correct. Awesome. Well, Alicia, so you are not originally from New Orleans. You've lived here for about five years Mm -hmm. uh, in your current role, and you, you got your Ph.D., from Stony Brook University in New York. And I know you did a lot of research uh, near Manhattan and the other kind of boroughs on the coast there. Are there similarities between what's happening in, around New York City and here in Louisiana? 
Well, certainly they do have sea level rise um, in those areas, not quite as high as the sea level rise we have here in Louisiana because, you know, we have not only sea level rise but the land of subsiding beneath us. Um, but they do have issues, particularly in one location I, I worked in, where the marshes are disappearing. And they were learnt, trying to figure out why that was happening and look for solutions to that. Um, and really what happened was a partnership between the Army Corps of Engineers and the Park Service used uh, sediment dredged from the Hudson River to build new marshes, similar to some of the projects that we have here in Louisiana. That's great. And I mean, a lot of people say this and clearly, you know, we see it every day, but Louisiana really is at the forefront of this crisis, but also of the technologies and the planning and the solutions that we're working to deal with, to deal with our land loss crisis, to deal with, you know, sea level rise, threats from hurricanes. And I know particularly after Sandy, New York, you know, there was a lot of conversations between folks in New York and here in New Orleans about what we've learned and what, you know, could be applied more broadly. Definitely. When I lived there, hurricanes were something they thought about, but it was never a reality. Then they had Irene and Sandy almost back to back. And they're kind of waking up and figuring out, looking to Louisiana to, to help inform what they should do to help better protect themselves. Great. Well, you know, you and I were recently up on a plane flying over uh, the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins and then into the Atchafalaya Basin and the Wax Lake Delta. Um, Wax Lake Delta is actually one of the few places across our coast that's gaining land as opposed to losing land. So can you give our listeners a little bit of a recap of what we saw and what the significance of that was? Yeah, so we flew over first Barataria Bay, um, which is just west of the Mississippi River. It's a basin that doesn't get a lot of sediment anymore from the Mississippi River, even though it's right next to it. It does get a little bit of fresh water, but not much. Um, we got to see a variety of different types of restoration projects in that basin, including things like Davis Pond, which is a freshwater diversion that's actually built a little land. There's a little delta that's being built there. We also saw Bear Island projects like the Caminata Headland, Marsh Creation Projects, and some shoreline protection projects. Then as you fly over to Terrebonne, you're moving away from the Mississippi and also you're far away from the Atchafalaya. Um, While there are restoration projects being done, the marsh there is in pretty bad shape. And in fact, Terrebonne, over the, since 1932, Terrebonne itself is the area of largest land loss, 500 square miles since 1932. It's pretty remarkable. And then you fly a little bit farther west over to the Atchafalaya Basin, and you see the Atchafalaya Delta, which is the, the delta that's being built by sediments from the Atchafalaya, as well as some dredge material placed by the Army Corps of Engineers. And then finally to the Wax Lake Delta. And this was a, um, a delta that's grown out of the Wax Lake Outlet, which was dredged in 1941. It's completely natural. No one does any dredging, but you see this growing, thriving delta. So in the, the contrast there between a place where we're gaining land in Louisiana and, you know, where there's land that's just being lost so rapidly is because there is that replenishing from the Atchafalaya River of, of fresh water and sediment that's kind of building up over time. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you have that. You can even see it as you switch over, not necessarily to the Atchafalaya Wax Lake Deltas, but even the marshes near those two deltas are solid-looking marshes versus the very fragmented Swiss cheese look of the Terrebonne Marshes. Right. And so clearly, you know, all of us are interested in how we can build more land across coastal Louisiana, you know, both to protect our communities, our industries, you know, for critical wildlife and fisheries habitat. There's so many reasons why our wetlands are so important. And even here in New Orleans, you know, we see how close we are to the Gulf of Mexico, how close, you know, we are, um, you know, to storm surge. 
and we need those wetlands to protect us. Um, so how do we go about, you know, gaining more land and building more land across Louisiana that's so critically important? I mean, what are some of the main, you know, projects that um, are seeking to restore our coastal wetlands? So we want to do two things. We want to gain new land, but we also want to maintain the land that we currently have. And you can do that with things like shoreline protection, using rocks or even living shorelines like oyster reefs to help protect a marsh from erosion. You can also use things like hydrologic restoration, restoring the freshwater flows into an area or keeping saltwater out of an area. Um, you also have things like bare island restoration, actually restoring the bare islands, which are that critical first line of defense against storm surge. And then you have marsh creation projects where you can use sediment dredged from either the basin or from the river to restore um, marshes in, in kind of shallow water areas. And then finally, you have the sediment diversion projects, which are these controlled structures that would be built into the levees that would capture that sediment, all that sediment that the muddy Mississippi River still carries today. Great. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, the plan that the state has, the coastal master plan that outlines these projects and priorities. And I think one of the things that's really important is there really is no one size fits all to restoring our coast or addressing our land loss crisis. You need all these projects, you know, working together. So you can't just, you know, dredge sediment. You can't just divert. You need the projects working in tandem. Is that correct? Yeah, there's no one pro- one project type that's going to be the right type of project in any in every location. Um, there are places like Terrebonne where you're far away from the both of the rivers, and so you are going to rely on freshwater flows and marsh creation. Um, but we also need to think very strategically. We can spend a lot of money and do a lot of restoration and not have a lot to show for at the end of the day. We have to think about how these projects can work together so that the benefits of the projects together are greater than than the benefits from any single project. Yep. And and also similarly with, you know, risk reduction or protection projects, right? As we saw, you know, with Hurricane Katrina, levees alone are not enough. Right. We need that buffer to protect our, you know, our levees and, you know, the, the storm surge barriers and the other uh, investments that have been made to better protect our communities. Yep. Restoring that natural system is critical to uh, protecting our, our protection features. All right. Well, uh, you know, we're going to talk to Alicia a little bit more about the Coastal Master Plan as well as um, the multiple lines of defense strategy when we return. Uh, you are listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Hi, everyone. This is Jacques Hebert, and you're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. We're discussing solutions to deal with Louisiana's land loss crisis, and we're back with Alicia Renfro, staff scientist with the National Wildlife Federation. So, Alicia, there are many reasons why we need to restore coastal Louisiana, um, but perhaps none is more important than to restore the crucial buffer our wetlands provide. You know, our cities like New Orleans and other places, um, 
you know, can you talk a little bit about how wetlands serve as a crucial buffer um, and give us a little overview of the multiple lines of defense strategy that people often talk about? Yeah, so the wetlands outside of our cities can help slow down storm surge and help decrease the storm surge before it actually gets to the city and gets to the levees um, that surround our cities. That's a really crucial thing. And once we lose that, the um, storm surge that our levees see is much higher and there is a much more likely chance they'll be overtopped or could fail. Great. And so, you know, the multiple lines of defense strategy, it really looks at, you know, exactly that. You know, there are multiple lines between us and the Gulf of Mexico, between us and storm surge from hurricanes that will, you know, reduce flooding and hopefully, you know, reduce stress on our levees. So can you walk us through what are some of the other lines of defense? I know, you know, barrier islands are often thought of as the first line of defense. Right. So you have things like barrier islands, you have shallow water bay systems, you have uh, land bridges, marsh land bridges, as well as ridges, which are these like uh, natural levees that uh, exist alongside of old um, bayou channels that help distribute water and slow things down. And then you also have the natural levee of the river, which is kind of the high ground area that uh, people in New Orleans are going to be familiar with because that's where a lot of our um, a lot of our houses exist on today right and so the thought there is you know as much as you have outside of the levee to protect you know uh your your home protect your business from flooding the less likely and the less strain there will be on the levee itself mm-hmm. um, making sure it's going to be more successful over time so people really even though they're they are in new orleans they are living within the levee system they should care about what's happening across the coast and in terms of coastal restoration is that correct oh definitely once you get up in the air you see how much of a coastal city new orleans really is so it's really important to keep that buffer intact yeah i remember the first time i went out on a flyover you know and you leave from the lakefront airport and then really quickly you're kind of over the lower ninth ward and then before too long, you're literally at the, you know, at the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, yeah, it's right there. Yeah. It's right there. And so it was really after Hurricane Katrina that the state sort of changed its line of thinking. They had thought about protection and restoration as separate things. But after Hurricane Katrina, they realized they really had to think about these things together. And that is the multiple lines of defense. Great. And that, you know, was kind of, you know, resulted in the state creating you know, the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority, you know, issuing its first coastal master plan, which was in 2007, I believe, and really outlined priorities for both protecting and restoring our area. Um, can you talk a little bit about a lot of some of the progress that's been made since 2007? We often hear, you know, why can't people, uh, you know, why can't the state, why can't others, you know, move more quickly? Why can't they address this problem? But in fact, there has been a lot of work that's been done, you know, with various investments coming in a lot more in the pipeline, you know, with a, as a result of funding from the BP settlement. Um, they have an updated coastal master plan, which we're going to talk a little bit about. But, you know, what are what are some of the major points of progress that, you know, the state has achieved in terms of addressing our land loss crisis. Yeah, and we have made a lot of progress, and I feel like we, we don't crow about it near, as no, near enough um, as we should. But since 2007, CPRA has completed or funded 135 different projects, and this includes 31,000 acres of land that have been benefited from these projects, 275 miles of levee improvements, and over 50 miles of bare islands and berms that are either um, have been constructed or are under construction. Yeah. And I mean, it, it really is impressive when you see kind of, you know, from the air or otherwise, the work that's been done. Uh, I know there's the large scale Barataria Marsh Creation Project, w- which pumps 
sediment, I believe, from from the, the Mississippi, from the Mississippi River over into Barataria Bay. Yeah, and they're they've created I think hundreds, if not more, acres in that it's area. It's probably more in the thousands yeah. range now. Yeah. They made a lot of progress with that project. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and uh, you know, folks, it's not always easy to see some of these projects because you know you can't always get to Barrier Island, you can't always get to Interior Marshes. Um, you know, so we've tried to document those and you can go on our website, MississippiRiverDelta.org, um, and look at some of the projects and look at some of the photos and images that, um, showcase the work that's been done. Of course, more is needed and that's mm -hmm. what we're working on. Um, you know, uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your, you know, what you work on day to day and, uh, you know, how you work to advance some of these restoration projects? Yeah. So the main part of my job is really doing advocacy to make sure that science is, kind of the foundation for our coastal restoration plans. And that can take a, a variety of forms. I mean, that's keeping up on the latest science, what's happening, checking in and monitoring the progress of our restoration projects, doing presentations to the public, and even writing the occasional blog post about the progress that we're making. Yeah, I mean, these are really complicated issues, you know, uh, and that's the thing. A lot of this science has been studied uh, extensively, some of these projects have been studied extensively for for decades, um, you know, and and so I think a lot of what you try to do and what we need to do is just translate what you know are the issues at stake and and how can people you know learn more. Right. Yeah. So you know the state, as we mentioned, is in the process. They've released their draft uh, 2017 coastal master plan which is um, a blueprint for how they're going to prioritize restoration and protection projects across the coast really for the next 50 years, even though they have, you know, shorter time periods of 10 years where they're looking at actually implementing some of these projects. So can you give us a little overview of the Coastal Master Plan, you know, and, and tell people, you know, where they can go to learn more? Yeah, so the Coastal Master Plan, as Jacques said, is a, a blueprint for coastal restoration and protection for the next 50 years. It's a $50 billion, 50-year plan. And it is currently out for comment. Um, you can go to la.coastal.gov to read the plan itself. And public comment is open until March 26th. So get those comments in. Yeah. And, and in fact, we're going to have, um, you know, experts from CPRA and potentially the Water Institute of the Gulf on our next uh, episode next week to discuss, you know, the Coastal Master Plan in greater detail. So our whole episode will focus on the Coastal Master Plan. But definitely go to la.coastal.gov, um, and, you know, you can read the plan for yourself. You can, uh, you know, see uh, what projects are in your area. And, in fact, CPRA has an amazing interactive online tool where you can enter your address mm -hmm. and see, you know, what what's my risk? What are the projects in my area, both in terms of restoration and risk reduction, um, and how can you learn more? So highly encourage you to go on and, and learn more and then give feedback if you have it. You have until March 26th. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alicia. It was great um, having you on the show. Be sure, you know, if you want, you can follow Alicia on Twitter at Alicia Renfro, R-E-N-F-R-O, uh, you know, for more of her analysis and insight into the coastal restoration work that's, that's going on. So thanks for coming on the show. We'll hope to have you back soon. All right. Thank you.
Hey, Jacques, I'm back. Hey, Simone, it's great to be back with you. How was your guest? He was great. How was Alicia? Alicia was great as always. Great. We hope to have more excellent guests, informative guests on deck for you in the future. Uh, we do want you to check out our website, MississippiRiverDelta.org. It's a brand new, beautiful website, really easy to navigate, right, Jacques? Um, and even a mobile, you know, easy to look on your phone, too. Uh, don't do it while you're driving, though. Uh, also find uh, the campaign on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Restore Retreat also has our website, restoreorretreat.org, and we're also on Facebook and Twitter. Um, So we hope that you'll join us next Thursday at the same time. But until then, Jacques, what do we have on deck? Yeah, so each week we're going to try to highlight different events happening across the coast that relate to our issue. Um, Of course, you know, a lot of folks are still coming down from Mardi Gras, so we don't have too much on deck yet. But uh, March 11th, actually, here in New Orleans at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, Chef Isaac Toops, you might know him from the show Top Chef. He also has two great restaurants in New Orleans, uh, Toops uh, Eatery uh, and Toops South. Um, meatery. Meatery, that's right. It's it's a very meaty, meaty place. place. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be doing an alligator cooking demo at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, again, from 2 to 4 p.m., Uh, March 11th, and there's also going to be some discussion about the Coastal Master Plan, so definitely check that out. Yeah, Isaac has been a great advocate for Coastal Louisiana. He he likes to hunt and fish. He grew up here, and and so he's been a great advocate for us, and so hopefully maybe one day we can have him on the show and talk about his Louisiana experiences and maybe share one of those alligator recipes. Yeah, I'm interested. I think they're going to be handing them out at the event, too, in addition to having tastings. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there'll be cocktails, too, knowing Isaac, too. Of course, yeah. (laughs) All right, well, we loved being here today we look forward to continuing to be with you in the future so we'll see you next week yep this has been delta dispatches on wgso 990 a.m Hi everyone, this is Jacques Hebert and you're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. We're discussing solutions to deal with Louisiana's land loss crisis and we're back with Alicia Renfro, staff scientist with the National Wildlife Federation. So Alicia, there are many reasons why we need to restore coastal Louisiana, um, but perhaps none is more important than to restore the crucial buffer our wetlands provide. You know, our cities like New Orleans and other places, um, you know, can you talk a little bit about how wetlands serve as a crucial buffer um, and give us a little overview of the multiple lines of defense strategy that people often talk about? Yeah, so the wetlands outside of our cities can help slow down storm surge and help decrease the storm surge before it actually gets to the city and gets to the levees um, that surround our cities. That's a really crucial thing. And once we lose that, the um, storm surge that our levees see is much higher and there is a much more likely chance they'll be overtopped or could fail. Great. And so, you know, the multiple lines of defense strategy, it really looks at, you know, 
exactly that. You know, there are multiple lines between us and the Gulf of Mexico, between us and storm surge from hurricanes that will, you know, reduce flooding and hopefully, you know, reduce stress on our levees. So can you walk us through what are some of the other lines of defense? I know, you know, barrier islands are often thought of as the first line of defense. Right. So you have things like bare islands, you have shallow water bay systems, you have uh, land bridges, marsh land bridges, as well as ridges, which are these like uh, natural levees that uh, exist alongside of old um, bayou channels that help distribute water and slow things down. And then you also have the natural levee of the river, which is kind of the high ground area that uh, people in New Orleans are going to be familiar with because that's where a lot of our um, a lot of our houses exist on today right and so the thought there is you know as much as you have outside of the levee to protect you know uh your your home protect your business from flooding the less likely and the less strain there will be on the levee itself Mm -hmm. uh, making sure it's going to be more successful over time so people really even though they're they are in new orleans they are living within the levee system they should care about what's happening across the coast and in terms of coastal restoration is that correct oh definitely once you get up in the air you see how much of a coastal city new orleans really is so it's really important to keep that buffer intact yeah i remember the first time i went out on a flyover you know and you leave from the lakefront airport and then really quickly you're kind of over the lower ninth ward and then before too long, you're literally at the, you know, at the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, yeah, it's right there. Yeah. It's right there. And so it was really after Hurricane Katrina that the state sort of changed its line of thinking. They had thought about protection and restoration as separate things. But after Hurricane Katrina, they realized they really had to think about these things together. And that is the multiple lines of defense. Great. And that, you know, was kind of, you know, resulted in the state creating you know, the Coastal Protection Restoration Authority, you know, issuing its first coastal master plan, which was in 2007, I believe, and really outlined priorities for both protecting and restoring our area. Um, Can you talk a little bit about a lot of some of the progress that's been made since 2007? We often hear, you know, why can't people, uh, you know, why can't the state, why can't others, you know, move more quickly? Why can't they address this problem? But in fact, there has been a lot of work that's been done, you know, with various investments coming in, a lot more in the pipeline, you know, with as a result of funding from the BP settlement. Um, They have an updated coastal master plan, which we're going to talk a little bit about. But, you know, what are what are some of the major points of progress that, you know, the state has achieved in terms of addressing our land loss crisis. Yeah, and we have made a lot of progress, and I feel like we, we don't crow about it near, as no, near enough um, as we should. But since 2007, CPRA has completed or funded 135 different projects, and this includes 31,000 acres of land that have been benefited from these projects, 275 miles of levee improvements, and over 50 miles of bare islands and berms that are either um, have been constructed or are under construction. Yeah. And I mean, it it really is impressive when you see kind of, you know, from the air or otherwise the work that's been done. Uh, I know there's the large scale Barataria Marsh Creation Project, which pumps sediment, I believe, from from the the, Mississippi River over into Barataria Bay. Yeah. And they've created, I think, hundreds, if not more acres in that area. It's probably more in the thousands range now. They made a lot of progress with that project. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, folks, it's not always easy to see some of these projects because, you know, you can't always get to Barrier Island. You can't always get to interior marshes. Um, you know, so we've tried to document those and you can go on our website, MississippiRiverDelta.org, um, and look at some of the projects and look at some of the photos and images that, um, showcase the work that's been done. Of course, more is needed and that's mm-hmm. what we're working on. Um, you know, uh, so can you tell us a little bit about your, you know, what you work on day to day and, uh, you know, 
how you work to advance some of these restoration projects. Yeah, so the main part of my job is really doing advocacy to make sure that science is kind of the foundation for our coastal restoration plans. And that can take a a variety of forms. I mean, that's keeping up on the latest science, what's happening, checking in and monitoring the progress of our restoration projects, doing presentations to the public, and even writing the occasional blog post about the progress that we're making. Yeah, I mean, these are really complicated issues, you know, uh, and that's the thing. A lot of this science has been studied uh, extensively. Some of these projects have been studied extensively for, for decades um, you know, and, and so I think a lot of what you try to do and what we need to do is just translate what, you know, are the issues at stake and, and how can people, you know, learn more. Right. Yeah. So, you know, the state, as we mentioned, is in the process. They've released their draft uh, 2017 Coastal Master Plan, which is um, a blueprint for how they're going to prioritize restoration and protection projects across the coast, really for the next 50 years, even though they have, you know, shorter time periods of 10 years where they're looking at actually implementing some of these projects. So can you give us a little overview of the Coastal Master Plan, you know, and, and tell people, you know, where they can go to learn more? Yeah, so the Coastal Master Plan, as Jacques said, is a a blueprint for coastal restoration and protection for the next 50 years. It's a $50 billion, 50-year plan, and it is currently out for comment. Um, You can go to la.coastal.gov to read the plan itself, and public comment is open until March 26th, so get those comments in. Yeah, and, and in fact, we're going to have um, you know experts from CPRA and potentially the Water Institute of the Gulf on our next uh, episode next week to discuss you know the Coastal Master Plan in greater detail. So our whole episode will focus on the Coastal Master Plan, but definitely go to la.coastal.gov um, and you know you can read the plan for yourself. You can uh, you know see uh, what projects are in your area, and in fact, CPRA has an amazing interactive online tool where you can enter your address mm-hmm. and see you know what what's my risk? What are the projects in my area, both in terms of restoration and risk reduction? Um, and how can you learn more? So highly encourage you to go on and, and learn more and then give feedback. If you have it, you have until March 26th. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much, Alicia. It was great um, having you on the show. Be sure, you know, if you want, you can follow Alicia on Twitter at Alicia Renfro, R E N F R O, you know, for more of her analysis and insight into the coastal restoration work that's, that's going on. So thanks for coming on the show. We'll hope to have you back soon. All right. Thank you. Hey, Jacques, I'm back. Hey, Simone, it's great to be back with you. How was your guest? He was great. How was Alicia? Alicia was great as always. Great. We hope to have more excellent guests, informative guests on deck for you in the future. Uh, we do want you to check out our website, MississippiRiverDelta.org. It's a brand new, beautiful website, really easy to navigate, right, Jacques? Um, and even a mobile, you know, easy to look on your phone, too. Uh, don't do it while you're driving, though. Uh, also find uh, the campaign on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, Restore Retreat also has our website, restoreorretreat.org, and we're also on Facebook and Twitter. Um, So we hope that you'll join us next Thursday at the same time. But until then, Jacques, what do we have on deck? Yeah, so each week we're going to try to highlight different events happening across the coast that relate to our issue. Um, Of course, you know, a lot of folks are still coming down from Mardi Gras, so we don't have too much on deck yet. But (laughs) 
Uh, March 11th, actually, here in New Orleans at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, Chef Isaac Toops, you might know him from the show Top Chef. He also has two great restaurants in New Orleans, uh, Toops uh, Eatery uh, and Toops South. Um, meadery. Meadery, that's right. It's it's a very meaty place. place. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be doing an alligator cooking demo at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, again, from 2 to 4 p.m., uh, March 11th. And there's also going to be some discussion about the Coastal Master Plan. So definitely check that out. Yeah, Isaac has been a great advocate for Coastal Louisiana. He he likes to hunt and fish. He grew up here. And, and so he's been a great advocate for us. And so hopefully maybe one day we can have him on the show and talk about his Louisiana experiences and maybe share one of those alligator recipes. Yeah, I'm interested. I think they're going to be handing them out at the event, too, oh. in addition to having tastings. Mm, I'm sure there'll be cocktails, too, knowing Isaac, too. Of course, so. yeah. All right, well, we loved being here today. We look forward to continuing to be with you in the future, so we'll see you next week. Yep, this has been Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM.